There's plenty more. Gonna have to turn us off, fine. All right, let's pray. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Illumine our hearts, O Master, who love us, mankind, the pure light of the knowledge, and open the eyes of our mind to understand the gospel teachings. Implant in us also the fear of thy blessed commandments that trampling down all carnal desires, we may enter upon a spiritual manner of living, both thinking and doing such things as well pleasing unto thee. Thou the of our souls and bodies, O Christ our God, and unto thee we ascribe glory, to thy Father, and all holy, good, life giving spirit. Now and ever to the ages of ages. Amen. Amen. Uh, before we get into Bible study, just a housekeeping item. Uh, you obviously all know that we're being recorded. And way, way back in the day, we said that we we're going to put these on the internet, but we haven't talked about what we do with these for a while. They're about to be put out on the internet, but probably to a greater audience. Uh, we are at the final stages of. Uh, having these uploaded to a service called Anchor, which is a subsidiary of Spotify. Poor woman's never going to call you again. Um, and uh, then from there, people can subscribe to this as a podcast from all the major podcast subscription services. Uh, Google, Apple, um, I don't know what else people use for podcasts. I'm not much of an into too many podcasts, but um, so anyway. Live or record? Oh. Recorded. Yeah. Yeah. Again, don't do it. Just a fair warning for whatever you say, uh, it's going to be immortalized. So. Well, how far back are you going? Uh, I don't know. Uh, Matthew and Revelation, I think, is what no, we're No, you just doing this year? Uh, Matthew and then Revelation. No, but I didn't just give them this year's recordings because you used to record two and three years ago. Yeah, so we're going to do all of this study of Matthew and then back to the study of Revelation. Oh, you're going to keep talking about yucky stuff? Yes, that's the best. You're going to edit me out. Yeah, no way. You're the star. <laughs> we're not going to cut out our star. All right. Um, trying. <laughs> no way. Well, let's. I was honest. It wasn't Good me. morning. Someone was a star. And you Linda's guys, the you star. May be, you may be too, were you? We were talking well, about the recordings on he's putting on the what? Internet. Internet. The recording for this. this. And I said, How far back are you going? And he oh. said, Revelations. I said to me when I kept saying about yucky stuff. <laughs> Did you move my book? All right. So we are in chapter 15. And I believe we are at verse 21. Okay. You're right. Excellent. Good. I like being right. Um, this is the gospel, by the way, of uh, it's known as the gospel of the Canaanite woman. Uh, this is in the Byzantine tradition. So that's those that follow the, the Greek Orthodox, the Antiochian. Um, as opposed to some of the Russian and Slavic traditions, this is the unofficial pre-Lenten gospel that precedes the official pre-Lenten gospels. So we don't open the Triodian this week, but this is always the gospel right before we go into um, the three pre-Lenten Sundays. In the Russian tradition, it's Zacchaeus. Now, we hear Zacchaeus that time of year, but in the Russian tradition, Zacchaeus is always a part of that pre-Lenten um, 
series of gospels. So it's a little bit different. We have it just not in the same on the same Sunday. So we've heard this fairly recently in church and it'll be somewhat fresh anyway. So if we could get a volunteer to read verses 21 through 28. Then Jesus went out there and departed to a region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him saying, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon possessed. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him saying, send her away for she cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshiped him saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, yes, Lord, even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. And Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. All right. So... Again, we always want to apply the, the major themes when you look at a smaller section. The way we study, little by little, makes it sometimes easy to forget the bigger picture. If we read the whole thing every week, we wouldn't have to remind ourselves of the bigger uh, issues or the larger themes. But does anybody find any of those larger themes at play in this section? The disciples weren't doubting, but they were saying, hey, take care of her. So she stopped yelling, right? Say that again. You cut out in the beginning. The disciples are not challenging, but they're saying, hey, why don't you just, you know, tell her something so she goes away. So it's, I don't know okay. if the disciples are doubting, but once again, um, they're, they're maybe not believing. Good. Yeah. So in, in as opposed to mythology or our assumptions about the Gospels, when you read the Gospels, the disciples aren't heroes, at least not in the beginning. And in Matthew, they're going to end the story still not being heroes. We're going to hear about them doubting even after they're talking to Jesus after his crucifixion resurrection. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, so they're uh their growth and it goes in fits and starts and and you know two steps forward three steps back that's part of the story so here you're seeing that play out good other larger themes anybody recognize we thought we've talked about the role of the outsider and jesus's interaction with outsiders any uh anything here you want to you recognize well this woman was not only a woman but a canaanite there you go. So she's doubly an outsider from the traditional Jewish perspective of the day. Um, remember, this is a time when even in the temple, um, even a Jewish woman couldn't go where a Jewish man could go. There was the, the, the court of the women. So she's a woman. 
and it's got the, she's a Canaanite woman. So she's not a Jew. And who are the Canaanites? We don't hear about the Canaanites much in the New Testament. You hear about a lot in the Old Testament. Anybody remember who the Canaanites were? The people who originally occupied the land that um, God gave to Israel. Yeah. So the people, the, the, uh, the Israelites come into the land of Canaan and by God's command take it over. And we're told to basically destroy them all to clean the land of what they had been doing to it in terms of their um, idol worship and, and animal sacrifice, even human sacrifice. Um, Were so yeah, the she, descendants from Cain, Father? I'm sorry? Were they the descendants from Cain? Oh, that's a good question. I don't know. I never thought about it. They're not no. Canaanite. They call Canaanites because of the land, not because of their heritage. The land? Yeah. Okay. Okay. That was probably wrong. I don't know. Just guessing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't know. It's a good question. It is a, it's, it's a lot for a coincidence, but okay. So she's the outsider um, and she's coming to Jesus. Now, one of the things I wanted to say about how we read scripture, which is really how we should communicate at all times, whether reading or conversing it's easy to go with assumptions when assumptions taken by themselves look obvious okay to be specific here if you didn't know anything about jesus and you read this dialogue what might you conclude about jesus's personality that he was being offensive to this woman who came to him for help yeah. How so? How is she offensive? He, he was calling her a dog. <laughs> yeah, well, before he said, yeah, you'll get there too. For, what did he first do? What's his first response? Silence. Silent. He ignores her. So he ignores her. Then he calls her. Well, then he says, I didn't come here for you. <laughs> right? I came for the lost sheep bounce of Israel. So strike two. Then she comes and kneels and she calls him Lord. Very few people in the Gospels call him Lord. She does. And kneeling, begging for help, his answer is it's not fair to take the children's bread and throw it. And, and I like um, uh, Rob's translation, the little dogs, the puppies. Right? Dogs is bad enough, but puppies are like not even full grown dogs. So it's, it appears to be insult after insult after insult piled on top of each other. Now, it is insult after insult after insult. Well, we'll, we'll, let's figure that out because this is where we have to be careful if we're going to understand anything in anyone. If you take it in isolation, you can easily draw the conclusion. And the conclusion is Jesus is rude. Right? There's a time and a place for everything. Okay. However, context is king. <laughs> Those so, can be true at the same time. So we want to look at everything not out of context, but in context, because we look at it out of context, we're eliminating important information. He's using it as a teaching example. He doesn't well, we haven't figured it out yet. We didn't get to the end. Well, you're always ahead of us. Then. That's why you're the star. 
Well, I mean, she, you, you don't even need to read this to know that Jesus would never mean that. Because you're using context. I'm saying what I want us to look at is, is we can look at it out of context. Yeah, I, I never knew anything about him. Right. You'd say he's awful. Ignores her. That doesn't even answer her. Not even a word. I'm just liking it to... Um, He's teaching, I am ahead, teaching, <laughs> teaching the, the, the people and the disciples. That, All right, hold on to that thought, because you're way ahead. Forget. Don't forget, we'll remind you. So, in context, you get one impression. <coughs> Sorry, out of context, you get one, one impression. We're going to look at the whole, and the context, first of all, is just the part we're reading. We're not going to look outside of 21 through 28. And I'm going to give Kathy a chance to make her argument that Jesus is real. <laughs> All right. So let's let's complete the context, which is it doesn't end with him saying um, it's not fair to take the children's bread with the little dogs. And he walks. That's not what happens. So now, Linda, based what does he do that shows us that that's not that that he wasn't just being rude? Well, it's the, his last. Uh sentence it's he said to her oh woman great is your faith let it be to you as you desire and he healed her daughter there like i said he's using that as an example to teach the others he's being including what the jews didn't like or were taught not to like, mm -hmm. and that's not why he's here. He's including even the lowly, lowly people, mm -hmm. the outsiders. Right. And she knew that somewhere she had faith because she had to have believed that he was going to do something. She would have never approached him because he was the enemy in her culture. Okay, good. Now, she had the faith to come. And then she had to beg because you got those disciples saying, get away, get away, get away. Okay. She was persistent. So what level of faith did it take for her to stay persistent? Was a lot. A lot. More than she had necessarily coming in. Perhaps. Okay. So she comes. She says, have mercy on me. He doesn't answer her even a word. Now, if that's all the faith she had to get to that spot, now she's got a choice. Right? What's her choice? To go away. Give up. Go away. So maintain the face you had. You not have to lose that face. Just maintain it. No. But it's not enough for the next level that he's now saying, well, by his actions and not what he's saying, she's going to have to go deeper. So she's she takes the silence, takes, takes the... <laughs> slow ahead. Slow down. Keep my mouth Cut off her coffee. <laughs> Um, and the disciples all come around begging him, send her away. She's crying after us. And then the whole lost sheep comment. And then the little dog comment. So what's happening to her as she goes through all of these steps? What, what is, what is her choice at every step? To, to continue. To stay or leave. Based on what? The pain that she has. Right. Yeah. And to have that faith, she's having to invest more. She's having to risk more. All of her energy uh, of being physically pushed out by maybe the disciples will physically push her out. Um, or Jesus saying, absolutely not go away. Mm -hmm. 
but she didn't because like you keep saying, she went all in. That's what we keep talking about. Yeah, so she, her faith in the beginning, whether she had it, we don't know. What we know is she needed more faith every step through this encounter. She dug deep. Yeah. Father, parents stay, parents stay engaged on many things because of their children. And if yes. she had all these demons in her, she didn't want the chance to slip away that she could be, that the daughter could be healed. Okay, so that's the motivation. Right. The, that's the goal. What's the means to get to her goal? Father, she could in, in, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says, without faith, it is impossible to see God. And it says, uh, because God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And so the operative was her faith, but the lesson is she diligently saw him, wanted to, you know, she was undeterred in wanting to make sure that Jesus understood that she believed by calling him Lord, that he could do something. And she, like Jacob wrestling with God, wasn't going to let him go until he had answered her inquiry, her request, her prayer for her daughter. That's how I see it. And it's also yep. a lesson for us in the modern time that it's not just what you say. In other words, she could have said, well, I know you're the Christ. I know you're the Lord and left it there and walked away. But diligently seek God and God rewards those who have enough faith to diligently seek him. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. And I want to bring out something you're, you're bringing us to. How diligent did she have to be? Imagine, look at, so 23, the disciples beg, beg him, send, send her away, okay? Imagine in 26 that it's one of the disciples that says it's not fair to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And imagine, um, well, let's see, there's another one. No, so just that one. And imagine that she that maybe he tried to answer her in 22, but the disciples kept getting in the way. In other words, I want to make Jesus a little nicer in his appearance by not having ignored her and not being the one to say it's not fair to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Is it still a lot of faith for her to hang in there and continue the dialogue? Yes. Well, either faith or abstinence. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's 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 give let's let's go with the worst case scenario. Let's say it's only abstinence. Well, it's not going to be. It can't be, it's right? Not either. Right? Yeah, Why can't it be? She, she clearly sees Jesus as the solution and probably the only solution to her problem. Yeah, and he is the one who ignores her, and he's the one that says it's not fair to take the children's bread. <laughs> How does that make it even harder for her? Let's say that you can imagine the comparison of the disciples saying that versus Jesus saying it. If the disciples saying it, she can still preserve in her mind what she thinks about Jesus. But now he's the one that ignored her. He's the one that said it's not fair. How does that make it even harder for her? What, what, is, that, what is that impression that she's got to now wrestle with? She still has to keep her faith or her belief. In the face of what? Rejection. From? Jesus. Jesus. 
That's a scary thought. Yeah. So it's Jesus's silence and Jesus's seeming rebuke that she's got to stand in front of to continue this dialogue. No seeming. It was a rebuke. Okay. It was go away. Was it a rebuke for rebuke's sake? Was it go away? Well, I mean, how is she supposed to know? It was, you know. Yes. How is she supposed to know? She doesn't. She doesn't. She's hearing rebuke. Was he rebuking her? Was he rebuking her? Is it more of a challenge for her faith? Challenging her faith? Um, was he rebuking her? You know, I see parallels in this story to Job. You know, mm -hmm. Job, Job suffers, you know, physical insult after physical insult and bad advice. And there is no um, mercy for a long time from, from God. There is no positive response. And Job persists in maintaining that God is good. And that's what she's doing. So was it a rebuke? Father. It, it appeared it's, it's to be. Not a one faceted thing. No. But it was clearly at least partly a rebuke. It, it was what appeared to her clearly as a rebuke. I'm not disputing that at all. And what I want us to conclude is a right thing about Jesus. Because if you cut this out, and you said, hey, follow Jesus, and here he is, people would be like, no thanks. <laughs> and, and I think all of us regularly misunderstand God. So I want us to make sure that we're getting the right thing. Uh, James, did you have something you wanted to say? Yes. Uh, I believe Jesus is kind of testing her faith, and in doing so, he's given a lesson to his disciples as well. You don't... Uh, you have to go a little deeper sometimes to see a person. How is he, when you say testing, I want you to, to be specific as you that can. she's persistent, that she was persistent, that shows that she had a, a strong faith. Even if she was feeling rebuked, uh, the idea here is that she was persistent because she believed. Yes. Okay. Excellent. What I wanted us to see very clearly in this is, yes, I think, and we're going to define some terms. Does God test us? Yes, he's testing her here. But when we say God tests us, I think we could easily misunderstand what he's doing and why he's doing it. All right. We could say, well, God's testing us to find out where we really are. Mm -hmm. In what sense is that an incorrect assumption about God, that he's testing us to find out where we are? He knows. So if God's testing us. It's not that he doesn't know. Who doesn't know? He wants us to know. She doesn't know what her faith is. Or us. Okay. Yeah. Applying it to us. So a test is not God finding out what God needs to find out. A test, according to Matthew 15, 21 and 28, is God testing so that we would know what we know. Now, if we think about this, it really is what a test always is, right? If I go to 
the Secretary of State and I take my driving test, you might say, well, that's because the state has to find out, do I know enough to drive? Because the state needs to know that, right? But if you think about it, it's a subtle difference, but it's an important one. The state doesn't need to know that I know how to drive. The state needs to know that I know that I know how to drive. Right. Okay. And this is a, it's, it's, it's a subtle point, but it's a huge one because when we feel either we hear God's silence or we feel what feels like a rebuke, if we're not as faithful, dedicated, and careful as she is, we're going to walk away with the wrong idea, right? Nobody could criticize her if she came. She says, have mercy, and he's silent. Who could criticize her and say, well, she tried. It took guts just to do that, right? Just to show up, not only Jesus, but these 12 other guys around. It's, it's a big group gang of guys, right? And she's a woman. And she goes and she's asking mercy and they're obviously annoyed. And they were probably, if they didn't say anything to her, you could see the eyes rolling, you could see the muttering. All right, so every step here, she could be, we could say, well, that's understandable that she stopped. And what would have been the biggest loss? Not just the healing of the daughter, what's even bigger than that? Okay. Yeah, and what about her, her not knowing the faith that she had. But there's also some benefit for the disciples. Oh yeah. Say more about that. Um, they, I mean, the turnaround must have been shocking for them. As she persisted um, and finally Jesus said, oh woman, great is your faith. Let it be as you desire. That's quite startling. Did Jesus do a turnaround? Did Jesus do a turnaround? I'm going to say yes for the okay. sake of argument. All right. <laughs> so show me how it's a turnaround. Well, he what? Goes, how did he change? How did he change? His words changed. His yes. But did he changed. do a turnaround? Yeah, I, I I get what it looks like. Um, did he did he do a turnaround? Um, I think there's a huge well, turnaround. I just want to make sure we're all clear who's doing the turnaround. Okay, go on. So to me, unless Jesus is somehow going to show us that he's much more erratic than we've seen him be so far. I don't know if it's a rat. Okay, go on. I mean, he's, you know, he's he's silent. He's and then all of a sudden now he's going to change. And like a woman great is your faith. To me, that's a harder theory to support than what we've seen so far, because almost not. A, I should say almost many, many times when somebody gets healed, what's Jesus's response back to them? Don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. What's more common than that? Your faith has made you well. Okay, so a consistent message is, yes, he's the healer, but he's not just all oh, being modest. Well, it was your faith. There wasn't. He's saying very clearly, your faith did this. In other words, their faith is necessary for the healing. It, to me, it's much more believable to say he needed to help set the stage for her to be tested, meaning to prove to herself 
what her faith was. So yes, I think she experienced a turnaround. And I think you're honest with me earlier, the disciples saw a turnaround, right? So there's Jesus being silent and they'd be like, yeah, good. Ignore her, let her go away. And then probably like a whiplash, great is your faith? Like, Lord, you just said she was like a dog. How are you changing, Lord? Do you think that Jesus... Father Michael? I think I said Kathy's saying some... Oh, okay. Um, do you think the it is not good to take children's bread and throw it to the little dogs, do you think that was somehow something other than a no? I think it was... Answering accurately everybody's assumptions on what is true. Because if you're a Jew, he's right. I don't think I don't think Jesus ever lies. I don't think he ever shades the truth. So when he says, I was only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, in some sense, is that true? Yes. Well, it has to be true. Well, right? I mean Broadly, the Old Testament does talk about including foreigners. There we go. Okay, but they didn't understand that. They had lost that understanding. If you read the Old Testament carefully, it's Israel as God's chosen people, not away from the rest, but to lead the rest to God. But by the time Jesus shows up now, with the way the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes, they've missed God's intention. And God was patient and sent them prophets trying to guard them along. So when he says, I was only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, I hear him saying, I'm going to say something that you think you know what it means. She was wrong about it. Well, I shouldn't say that. The disciples were definitely wrong about it. She was right. She was right. <laughs> right? Yeah. She says that the little dogs are part of the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Yep. She, she was the true theologian. She was one that understood. She does. Okay, and I don't think that that was a change in Jesus. Uh, I don't think he can. I don't think she convinced him to change his mind. He probably, or he probably, if he was, if he's God, we're going to assume that that's correct. Yeah, he knew what the outcome was going to be. He knew if if she professed her faith that he was going to kill her dog. Yeah, and I would say there's two ways to understand that. Maybe because he knows everything and he can see the future. Maybe. Although we're going to be careful that we're not going to say that Jesus, because he's divine, always had the fullness of knowledge from his divine self because he's a human being. So as a baby, Father Hoppe would say, it wasn't like Jesus was in the in the crib going, oh, there's Mary, my mother. You know, <laughs> he was a baby and he thought, or babies think that's how Jesus thought, even in his divinity, in, in, in his humanity together. So. But yes, it's, um, he knew. Did he know because of divine revelation or did he know because that's what faith would have to be? Does it matter? Uh, ultimately, I guess, no. I think what only matters is that whether or not he knew it because of his divinity, he still knew the route. Whether or not he knew the outcome, he knew the route. And that's, that's, that's the important, important thing. thing. Exactly. Father, do you think that um, uh, because this was 
um, in the middle of his training of the disciples, he really wanted them to realize that the gospel was going to be going out to the whole world, that it wasn't going to be just this select few of Jewish leaders, that it was broadening uh, to the whole world. And so this fact that Christ was showing mercy to this Canaanite woman um, would indicate that his grace was really going to be so much bigger than what those disciples had even imagined. Yes. So more maybe of a, not only a test of her faith, but really a teaching of the disciples to understand that his grace was going to expand to the whole world. Good point. Yes. Yeah. And that's, that's one of those themes that is throughout this idea of the outsider is not just what we might call him being more inclusive just for the sake of like equality or whatever. It's that he is fulfilling his father's mission from the beginning of the world that had been lost for the most part through the period of what we call the Old Testament. So what Kathy brought up is it, it, this was part of the, the original, I would say, inherent teaching of the Old Testament, that there would be a blessing to the nations, not a blessing being removed out of the nations. But he has the advantage of knowing that. They don't. They, they, even though they weren't theologically trained, they were what seemed to be at least somewhat religiously observant Jews. And therefore, it was, it was steeped in them about this whole separateness of the Jews. And we're going to see this play out even after Jesus ascends in the book of Acts, when Peter is going to be tempted to hold on to this separation long after the descent of the Holy Spirit and Pentecost and, and you know, the, them going out and preaching, it's going to take St. Paul coming to him and saying, you're not being true to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, yeah, I think it's going to be, it's, it's, that's a big part of his training, but because the gospel is not written only to them or about them, it's for us, it's for us as well. So, yes, it, it's it's definitely not just and it, everything Jesus is doing, he's doing for partly at least teaching purposes. And not just teaching, but really reshaping assumptions, which is is the hardest kind of teaching. Uh, Alan, there, you gonna say yeah, yeah. Um I don't understand the correlation between the main um, theme of this um, section uh, verse understand why the dogs are brought into it. It seems that if she's asking to be healed, heal the daughter, and he says, I was not set um, except to um, to the lost sheep. And then all of a sudden we're talking about it's not good to take the children's spread and throw it to the little dogs. I, I don't understand why that's part, why that was brought into this. So there's there's a distinction that every Jew at that time would have understood, and even today to some degree, that Jews are on the inside and Gentiles and every non-Jew is on the outside. And you don't mix. You don't 
you don't eat with Gentiles, you don't touch Gentiles, you don't, you, you live separate. Um, and she's not, she's not a Jew. So he's saying that if, if he was sent only the lost sheep of house of Israel, and we've already said there's really two ways to interpret that, and she interpreted the right way, um, he's still not going to, you know, this is sort of like a, a parent with a child. You know, parents, we, 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 we fear for our kids and we, we want them to do the best. And we're always tempted to come in and rescue them. Right. And she's, she's his daughter. And at every level, yes, he's, he's turning up the heat in a sense to give her more of a chance to operate by faith, but it's still, she's still having to go through that difficulty. Father, at the time, weren't dogs considered, I don't know what the term I'm going to use, just like filthy or unclean? Yeah, or, yeah. you want to understand how the Jews thought of dogs, think of how our Middle Eastern grandparents thought about dogs, right? They're, you don't, dogs are not, they, they, when our people came over here and saw Americans having dogs in their house, it was one of those confusing things about America. Really? Because dogs funny. are, they roam the streets. Uh, you might have a guard dog, but you don't let him in the house. He's filthy. I didn't know that. When you yeah. That. So Mr. Paul and Philip used to tell a story when somebody said something to him and they joking, they said, oh, you dog, you. Oh. And he was so insulted because... <laughs> To call someone a dog is like you filthy pig, you know. It's it's, it's a terrible insult. And then um, he would tell the story of his. He met a woman in San Francisco who was a very skilled administrator, and he said, "I want you to come and move to New Jersey and be the the secretary run the archdiocese." And she had a little dog. You remember the dog's name, Susie? Do you remember? No. Larry. What? Larry? Larry was Kathy Meyer's dog. No. He used to always talk about she wanted to bring Larry. And he, who's Larry? Larry's my dog. You're going to bring your dog? You know, he was just, he couldn't understand the whole. So yeah, dogs are seen as very lowly, filthy. You don't let a dog in the house. That's that's terrible. It'd be like us when we think of somebody having like, I don't know, like a pet rat, maybe. Like, ooh, why do you want a rat in your house? Does that make sense, Alan? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm following. Larry, okay. office? I don't know if Larry would have came to the office. That's a good I question. <laughs> he came to New Jersey, but I don't know if he came to the office. Larry. I do think that there is a temptation to underplay just how rude the comments that Jesus made were were or could be interpreted and so if we if we go with the could be interpreted mm -hmm. how do we understand insults to ourselves or to, and to other people well again this is jesus so i think there's we could really be confused if you say well what jesus does is what everybody else is doing I wish, but that's not the no, case, I, I right? Just, that's not where I'm trying to go. Okay, so maybe I'm misunderstanding you. I, I do think that, um, you know, in, in our society, 
we call out rudeness um, a little too much. I, th I think there is a time and a place for it. And uh, it, it clearly, um, it can be beneficial, can lead to greater good. Am I making any I sense? would, it, well, tell me if this sounds right, that people can do things that sound rude that are actually very helpful. Is that what you're saying? That actually are rude. So rudeness would be, are you saying that there's, rudeness can be good? Well, I think what you're saying is at the time when Jesus is calling her a dog, that is an insult. And and that, that, is, was, that was that insult. is very rude. That was an insult. Up to that point, yes. So at that point, I'm calling you a dog, and you should be insulted at that point when I'm calling you a dog because I'm insulting you. Did, he, so, did he insult her? Um, I'm going to say yes. He, I mean, calling her a dog just just as um, the, uh, what, did, what is it? Philip Mont or yeah. I mean, he was insulted. No. Yeah. 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 But we would say, we would, see, it's a funny story for us because we most of us love our dogs. <laughs> yeah. So it's funny because why is he so insulted? It's say that call a dog. But she, yes, she was insulted. But at the same time, if you want to use the word fight, she fought back. So she, yeah, she responded to that and said, "Okay, you're calling me a dog. However, a dog, blah blah blah." blah. Did she take it like an insult? I don't know. I don't you okay. think it was more of like her humility and her extreme need and acknowledgement that God could um, could could do the healing in her humility. She realized it doesn't matter who I am, where I came from. Uh, I'm just begging for mercy, basically. And her humility, uh, her humble spirit. Um, was not at a place where she could even be offended by that comment because she recognized her state and her, her, um, I don't know, her um, demeanor. It, it, it was yeah. uh, a very humble place that she was coming from. Yeah, is there any evidence by what the text tells us that she was offended? No, no, she said, yeah, even the little dogs eat the crumbs. So she's she's almost identifying with, yeah, you're right. We we just want crumbs, <laughs> you know. That's right. And and it, it ends up she gets a crumb. <laughs> and from her perspective, being a little dog that gets a crumb from the master's table is all she needed. And that's why I'm going to push back at any sense that he was actually rude, actually insulting, because she doesn't take it that way. Why would we take it that way? Perhaps also his words would have been more, more likely those of an average Jewish man and how they viewed women and how they viewed the outsiders. Maybe. I would say there's, there's an inter interpretation that all of them may have assumed which, based on those and words, she could yes. have encountered those words that disrespect yes. in her everyday life. Sure. So she's not going to back down. She needs what she needs. But is she taking it as rudeness? No. No. She's There's no got, evidence. Her goal is to get her daughter cured yes. and to be heard 
despite the disciples mouthing off and and heard by whom jesus who's so far showing her what that he's that he's if it's not rudeness it sounds like he's rejecting her and not going to hear her it could sound like that but what you said earlier is that often we feel like god is testing us so that we would know how deep our faith is he already knew that's right so yes and that's where again i'm, I'm going to push back at any I, I want us all to be on the same page if he's being rude what's the point of the story that jesus gets to be rude if he wants to no no that you have to you have to dig deep and and realize how much faith that you, you really do have. And she knew deep down that he was going to help her. She, if she had just given up and walked away, then she would have said, yeah, he's rude. Right. And because she doesn't give up, because she goes with faith, not easy assumption. And again, justifiable for her to say, well, that was rude and walk away. Yeah. Justifiable from a worldly, non-faith, non-Christian perspective, justifiable. From a Christian perspective, and this is going to sound harsh, but I think I want to see what it's saying. You can tell me if, I, if I'm wrong. He's redefining what faith looks like. We would say it would be justifiable for her to walk away at any one of these three or four points from a worldly perspective. If she walks away, and we don't know, but we could assume if she walks away, the daughter does not get healed. Right? Why? the faith. Great is your faith, be it done for you as you desire. So Jesus is, is pushing very hard not to make her suffer, but to help her and the disciples and us see what real faith looks like. So what does real faith look like for her? And not faith in general, faith in Jesus. What does it look like for her to maintain faith uh, in relation to what Jesus is or isn't saying and is or isn't doing, what does it look like? How did she, how, what, what is she saying to herself that comes out in, in what she says and does? How is she interpreting what he's doing? She stayed the course. I mean, every thing he kept saying back to her, she had an answer. Cor she, what's the course though? What's the course that she's saying? She is, she wants to be heard. And she didn't back down the first time. She didn't back down. I mean, I mean when you say back down, she she continued to have that conversation with him. She with didn't, what she assumption didn't, about him? Pardon me. With what assumption about him? I don't think she took it as an insult. She took it as a way to express herself, to communicate with him, and it ended up that her faith, her faith, healed her daughter. But like I said before, she was probably used to all kinds of that yeah. nastiness. She would have every reason to walk away. We, and we would say from an earthly perspective, well, that was okay. Of course she's going to walk away. Why was she going to sit there and be insulted? And it wasn't yeah. even unique for him to get that close to him with all those people right. always around him. Right. And women were lowly. It's like, go home. Make, right. Make the bread. Or <laughs> but I might disagree, Father, and take a different side of that. I think. Um, no, as we know who Christ is today, he may have healed if she walked away, healed the daughter anyway, because he's a kind and loving person. He doesn't want to see someone 
at no fault of the child's suffer like that. Maybe, maybe. But again, what is the, what is Matthew writing in the story? Now here he doesn't say your faith has made her well. He says, a woman great is your faith, be it done to you as you desire. So it's to me, it's it's another way of saying that same thing. In other words, his niceness, his compassion is not the operative thing happening here. What's the operative quality? Her faith. And respect for her. Yes, as what? As a persistent believer. As a lost sheep of the house of Israel. But I think Alan's right too. I think he would have healed her anyway, Alan. Maybe, we don't know. Well, I like All we know though is Jesus is telling us that her faith is not peripheral to the story. Maybe, I know. And here's the problem, because I think it's, it's an important point. We want to assume that Jesus is nice and compassionate enough that he will heal when there's need. Yeah, but right? maybe he Hold would. Hold on. I'm going to take this step by step. It's going to make me forget. <laughs> Hold on. Write it down. If that's our assumption, Jesus is nice. Jesus is compassionate. There's a need. We've asked, and we're getting silence. What's our next conclusion? Maybe. Well, the wrong conclusion would be that he's rejecting us and he's not yeah. going to help us. Yeah. And then we then that that hill we were climbing where it's like, okay, he's nice, he's compassionate, but, but well, now he didn't do it. Well, maybe he's not nice, maybe he's not compassionate, maybe he's not God. So that's what I'm saying. We got to be careful about how much we put into this extra part of the gospel that's not in here. No, but maybe he maybe he would heal her and he, maybe he wouldn't say anything. You know, told the rest of the people, but maybe when she got home, she was healed. I I like happy endings. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but don't settle for the lesser happy ending. I was disagreeing with Alan. <laughs> <laughs> Do you get the point I'm trying to make? Jesus's silence is absolutely a great gift. Yes. Jesus's seeming rebuke is an absolutely wonderful, compassionate, loving thing to say. But it's an obstacle. It's an obstacle for who? Well, it's it, it's, it's it's friction. It's Yes, and what does friction do? Um it you either it gives it, it's a point where you have to choose to to either add more energy or, or bingo. Or go back. That's why I can't accept it being an actual insult. Does it look like it? Yes. Does it sound like it? Yes. Could she be understood for taking it that way? Yes. And if she does, she's lost out on the gift that she didn't steal from him. Everything he's doing is a gift here. And if we miss it, we're going to miss what happens when God is silent to us, when he seems to insult us, when he doesn't answer the way we want. When, whenever we want to put our wisdom above his. And let's face it, that's most days. <laughs> right? So my, my reflection yesterday was on this idea that if we don't repent, it's not just I'm repenting or not. It's not my choice. If I don't repent, I'm either saying, God, you repent. Because I don't want to, and somebody's got to, so it should be you. 
and all the people out there that are trying to rewrite what the Bible is saying, what Jesus is saying, it's because they want him to repent. Or they're repenting of even believing him in the first place. And, well, I don't want to believe in this God, so he's not even there. And if we all did that, if we all expected God to repent, God would never be one. He'd be keep, keep changing. He wouldn't be what we need, not right. what we believe. Exactly. And when yet, you said that yesterday, I heard that right after you posted that. I go, no, Father, don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> and yet, you could argue from this passage that persistent asking um, re results in uh, a yes from yes. God. What is it about it? Is it just that we wear God out? That was actually one of the one of the uh, parables he talks about. So there is something to persistence, yes. There is clearly something to persistence. Okay, but what's underneath it that I think is what makes it really what what makes the persistence important? Faith. Person's faith. It's saying persistence is saying I'm not giving up on an idea, even when it gets hard. Well, you know, like we teach the kids, you know, you can. God doesn't always answer your prayers the way that you expect, but sometimes it's a yes, sometimes it's a no, sometimes it's what it's a wait. Yeah. Or the the answer is something totally right. different. It still gets answered, but like you said, not the way that you wanted the answer. Right. Now, how do the kids hear that? Often. It's been a long time. I don't know. <laughs> God is sometimes nice and sometimes he's not so nice. That's how I think sometimes all of us probably are tempted to think that. When we teach the kids, what we're saying is sometimes no is the nicest thing. Right? God is not always very nice in our in our interpretation. Is he nice in this in this dialogue? No, he's rude. See, I, I would say <laughs> I would say if he seems rude, sure, I'd agree with that. Okay, I think the answer. Did he yeah. stop being nice in here? He might have stopped acting nice. I think the answer is yes and no. If you stop at that one point, the answer is yes. He's being rude and not nice. You take it. To the end. But this is the danger. This, hang on that thought, Alan. This yeah. is the day. Because when we say at this point, if we stop what we conclude, then we're all going to give it to others. Cole, could you mute for a second? Um, I'm sorry. Um, oh, so we don't get to read the story of our life with fast forward and rewind. You can do a little rewinding, you can't fast forward. So if I'm asking something from God and I don't know where it goes and I'm getting what sounds like a no, and if it's reasonable to assume that when God says no, he's being rude, now I'm in trouble. Because if God is possibly rude, then why would I always go to him? Well, so I'm going to throw out an idea that there are, it's sort of a framework that I work through okay. sometimes. And that's, you know, very much based on Ecclesiastes 3. There is a time and a place for everything under the sun. And mm -hmm. I know I just put right. that quote. But, and so there, there, there does seem to be time to be not nice or rude um, as a tool. And it, 
um, that uh, that Jesus is not uh, as is culturally um, uh, see it, the idea of Jesus as this culturally um, you know always loving, always compassionate. Seeming um, to be or being is I well, think that's where we might be disagreeing. Yeah, put, uh, the doormat, you know, that uh, that they're he doesn't make it easy. True. He because, sets obstacles. Because he's up. rude. No, because we need the obstacles. Because he loves. Yes. Okay, that's where I want to make sure we're all on the same page is. But that doesn't take away from the reality of the obstacle. No, the reality of the perception, the possible perception. Okay, that's all, yeah. all, all it's all perception, right? It's all. Well, that's the problem, <laughs> is that this whole perception is reality is a big problem. If perception is reality, he's rude, she should walk away, end of story. Well, see, I don't say that she should walk away. But if he's being rude, she should. There, I, there I'm going to disagree. Okay. Yeah, he's he's setting up an obstacle, and she I like her. She is yeah. She is one persistent lady, and I've met her, and I like yeah. her. <laughs> yeah, you know? and and her persistence isn't. Uh, you can admire the persistence from a world perspective. I could admire a lot of people's pers persistence. They're very persistent Satan priests. <laughs> I don't want to admire them for their persistence. I admire her faith. Okay. And what I want to make sure we don't miss out on here is. If our perception of God, I'll use the word infected, is infected with the possibility that there's a moment that he acts not out of love. Okay. Now we have a potential cancer that could grow and undermine when we actually need more faith. And he's showing us that if you want faith, stop thinking I'm the problem. Right? Does that make sense? The Cain and Abel story. Mm -hmm. You know, God did push Cain. Yeah. And Cain said, it's your fault. Yep. Yep. And that had a bad ending. Every time people misunderstand God, and from a worldly perspective, we could say, well, they've got good reason to misunderstand him. But every time anybody does, it ends very badly. Anytime people say, I don't care what it looks like to me. I don't care if it looks like he's rude, sounds like he's rude. If he's God and he's love, he's not being rude. And if he's not being rude, I'm the one that has to change. I've got to say, what is my response going to be? And that's why I think it's very clear the way it's written. She never took it as rude. If she did, the story would have ended differently. She corrected i don't think she corrected jesus i think she corrected the misunderstanding that others including us before we dig into this might have said well was he rude if you want to say he acted rude out of love to draw i could i'm okay with that i'm never going to accept that this story says that jesus sometimes is rude because that to me undermines the real story okay. which is jesus is never rude jesus is always about our growth even when everything around us is telling us he's sometimes rude. Because again, let's take this to apply it. I'm sick. My, my wife is sick. Somebody's sick. I'm begging from God and I'm getting no answer. What does Job say? 
God is good. God gives, God takes, blessed be the name of the Lord. Okay, that's the message of scripture, not just New Testament, that's Old Testament. Almost everybody got that wrong. And here is this Canaanite woman from the way outside showing up everybody else where Jesus looks and says, a woman great is your faith. So we're all going to have Canaanite woman moments. <laughs> and we've all had them. And let's be honest, probably we've all said to ourselves, maybe subconsciously, understandably, I'm a little ticked off at God today. Was it so much to just blah, 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 whatever, right? I think the ticked off part often comes from not being mad at him, but that we're not getting it. That we're not understanding what he wants. That and yes. then I get mad at me. Right. And why don't we get it? Because, like you're talking about, maybe there is the example of praying for somebody's health and you want them better, mm -hmm. and you're not hearing it, and and then you just got to remember that he knows better. That's and that's, that's that. Yes, it's hard. Yes, it's hard, and only the only by faith can you do that. Nobody can show you that that makes sense. So ultimately, we're going to have these moments where we're going to live an unworldly, nonsensical life that the Bible calls faith, or we're going to understandably give up on God, like so many people have. Now, I want to connect. Oh, we're at 11 o'clock. I want to connect this really quickly, then we'll wrap up. Our conversation last week about silence and God's silence. Mm -hmm. Remember, we talked about the, the three stages of spiritual growth and that second phase, which is most of our life that we describe as dry and God being quiet. He seems so distant. Here you see what that looks like in action. Jesus appeared to be distant. He didn't answer her, not even a word. Was he absent? No. No. So he appeared to be absent. He appeared to be rejecting. He appeared to be rude. He appeared to be all kinds of things we're going to attempt to be thinking about when our Canaanite woman moment comes. And we'll have every earthly reason to say, forget that. But we've all met the Canaanite woman. So hopefully we learned the lesson that she's teaching us today. All right. Thank you, everybody. God bless you. God willing, we'll see you next week. Thank you, thank you Father. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Bye, Rob. Bye-bye. Bye, Charlie. See y'all. Bye, Charlie. Bye.